This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Dean Hoyle and you're listening to And He Takes That Chance. The most famous goal of Chris Billy's life. Is this the moment for Lee Fowler? It is. Take your place in Division 2. Huddersfield Town. Ruby and Steve Simmonson's boots now. He's missed. Steve Simmonson clears for Schindler has a chance to write his name in Huddersfield Town legend and he takes that chance Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Andy Takes That Chance podcast Unlike the hordes of football fans who have travelled to Qatar for the World Cup dry in the mouth We have travelled just a few miles and have alcohol on tap as we bring you a new episode from the taproom of Magic Rock Brewing. Magic Rock, of course, where you can use our code of AHTTC10 for 10% off at checkout. Uh, This week, uh, we're going to look into the ownership of Huddersfield Town and joining me to do so, I have former chair of the HTSA, watcher of the skies and favourite of the housewives, it's Jim Chisholm. Thank you. That's that's a hell of an introduction. I wish I wish I'd not come on now after the last two. <laughs> and joining myself, Matt Shaw and Jim is Huddersfield's answer to Jeff Albertson, an author, a silver-haired, silver-tongued, silver-lining, silver-back gorilla silhouette of a man. It's David Hartrick. That's a, that's the best intro you've ever done for me. Okay, so why are we here? Well. We're here because just under a month ago, Dean Hoyle released a statement on the 25th of October where he outlined a plan for stepping away from day-to-day control of Huddersfield Town, citing that he could no longer bring the same energy and enthusiasm to the role that he once did. Uh, he announced that he would look to sell the club and that Dave Baldwin would then lead the process and effectively run the club in his stead. Uh, one thing that made me stop in my tracks, if you like, uh, during the um, press release was the comment that football is a challenging industry where mistakes are plentiful and I accept responsibility for mine. 
and I'm sorry. I always say it's easier to make mistakes when you try things. Those who don't make many mistakes often don't try. Um, so I, I find that a little bit sad, really, <laughs> in some ways. Maybe it's the softness in me. Um, when this was announced, I also tweeted something which uh, that it was a shame that Dean was attracting some personal criticism and some stick online. Um, and that I thought he'd done some great work, which was met with a number of other responses citing that we could we could be going back to where he picked us up from. Um, and those were the implications and that nothing has really changed in the 14 years of uh, Dean Hoyle at Huddersfield Town. And I, and I found that very, very wrong. Um, whereas, yes, we might end up back in League One next season due in large parts to the actions of the summer. Um, but for me, there's a lot that Hoyle's Huddersfield have done really well in the last 14 years. And, and it matters to football fans like me um, I'm talking about the off-the-pitch stuff, such as raising over a million pounds for the Yorkshire Air Ambulance and the Academy, um, feeding your children in Kirklees with the Huddersfield Town Foundation, the charity bike rides, uh, the sense of community and bringing people together that all of that fostered, um, overseeing the transition from playing you know, training at Stortz Hall uh, to Canal Side, the endless Q&As giving insight into what's going on at the club, which you know not a lot of football owners do. Um, the club partner schemes to bring businesses together, you know, thanks to Sean Jarvis, obviously, uh, making watching Huddersfield Town affordable, uh, gate crowds doubled. Um, he got the stadium share back from Huddersfield Sporting Pride Limited. Uh, more on that later, of course. And then on the pitch, he's ended an 11-year exile from the top two leagues by financing, you know, the three playoff campaigns. He ended a 45-year period, not not by himself, but there's a 45-year period outside of the top flight for Huddersfield Town, uh, something many Huddersfield fans thought they would never see in their lifetimes. You know, is Huddersfield in the top flight, seeing you know the likes of Aaron Moy and Christopher Schindler in a town shirt, and they'll go down as some of the best players we've ever had for a long time to come, I'm sure. So I wanted to get that out of the way before we move on, because I suspect that when the majority of town fans sit down and think about it, uh, and Dean moves on, I think they'll be grateful for what he's done for the football club. Um, but I do always say, Jim, and I've said this many times, it's about how you walk out the door as opposed to how you walk in. Um, and, you know, as we move forward with this, I'm sure there'll be different questions and situations that arise which maybe, um, you know, won't be as as cloying to, uh, to Mr. Hoyle, <laughs> if you like. Um, but, you know... Not that this is going to be a Dean Hoyle love fest or anything, but um, how have you found um, the 14 years under uh, his stewardship? Yeah, it was half my life, so um, I almost can't remember anything different. And certainly when I was watching football and attending town matches um, when I was younger, I didn't care about anything that was going on off the pitch or probably wasn't aware of it. So you've obviously listed a, a long litany of, of successes there, and I think... His tenure as, as chairman and owner of the club will be, I think, judged a success. Now, that depends on what happens at the end of the season, but I think if you put things in context and you're fair, that's the conclusion that I would come to. You know, I think, to, to paraphrase one of Huddersfield's other famous sons, Harold Wilson, you know, a week is a long time in football, 14 years is, is an eternity. Um, what I will say is, I think, probably indicative of the dysfunctional nature of, of modern football finances is the fact that we talk about owners so much. I mean, 
if I'm thinking of like probably the most successful chairman of Huddersfield Town ever, I, I don't think you could tell me his name. I could. Well, only could, because you I told, told me last week. Phone, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if I hadn't told you on the phone, you could. So it's Amos Brookhurst, I think, for, you know, from the 1920s to 1941. He was subsequently elected chairman of the FA. I think he served there until the, the 1950s. You know, no one remembers that. People remember, people watch football because of the, of the game itself. They remember that, you know, you remember the Billy Smith, the Clem Stevensons in, in, in um, 15, 20, 100 years. You know, people remember the Aaron Moyes and the um, Cristiano Lopez's of this world. Um, so I think that's one thing to say that I think it's, it's, it's a sad indictment of modern football that we are so in hoc to and really dependent on millionaires and, and billionaires to make sure that our clubs can run. But to kind of bookend that, I think I would certainly say that Dean Hall's tenure has, has, has been a success um, and I think, you know, pretty much most of the things that he's, he's done, you know, has, has, has been because he loves Huddersfield Town as a football club. So I don't think I would question that. Yeah, I, I can't agree more, really. The, the, the thing I would say is that, it, yeah, he's made mistakes and like not every decision he's made has come off, but every decision has been made with one eye on the benefit of Huddersfield Town. And that's what you get when you have a fan who owns the club. Um, we have it the same situation with, with Brighton, with Tony Bloom. And when Tony Bloom goes, it will be a very sad day because that will be the last time a Brighton fan owns Brighton if we continue to to stay in the Premier League. I think Dean, is, is the, the illness really is sort of a, a line in the sun where you can say there's a before and after. And I I think who knows where we'd be in another world if, if he'd never been that ill, but he was extremely ill. I'm with you, Matt. I thought the statement was actually quite sad. I thought it was quite poignant, quite sad. Um, and I think everything he's done really has been a, been a, a positive um, for town on balance. And I said on, on, the other podcast now I'm on yours Matt I'll call it the other podcast um that I I think history should be very kind to Dean Hoyle even if social media right now isn't and yeah you you just sort of wish him well really you you hope they get the sale right and everything but um yeah the the sort of era of a fan owning Huddersfield Town is about to end I strongly, strongly suspect, unless somebody knows of a Huddersfield Town supporting uh, near near billionaire who fancies coming and injecting a load of capital into the club. I don't think there is one out there. Um, so, yeah, it's very sad, really, because when you pass into ownership by a group or by somebody who is is in it for the investment, it becomes a very different experience. However... Dean Hoyle is leaving, and this is one of the other problems with any owner, because you can have a great, rich owner, millions of pounds pumps it in, but as soon as circumstances change, whether it's their personal you know, finances, whether it's their personal life, they have to go. And when they go, there's, there's basically two options that we, that we talk about, at least. So one of the options is, I think, Jack Walker, Dave Whelan, you play the hero, you write off all your debts, you know, the club is passed on and it's not hamstrung um, by those debts. 
Or you recover your debts somehow. You recover them through the sale. Do you recover them as a, as a, at a charge on the balance sheet after the sale's gone through? Um, and so no matter what owner you have, they're always, they're always going to leave at some point. And you're always going to have like, the problem of debt. Whatever money they've spent has to be recovered some way. So again, um, I think that's how I'd kind of like to see the, the, the issue of the takeover. It's like a big structural problem um, in English football, probably in the British economy more generally. So yeah, that's, that's my um, two cents, which might be slightly tangential, but... It's about 20 quid's worth there, mate. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, thank you. That's why you brought me on. <laughs> exactly. You've right. only got me a pack of chili twists so far, so... To, to be honest, they were good. They're very good. I'm, I'm going to recommend these. If anyone comes to Magic Rock, the chili twists are actually pretty good. Yeah. But moving on. Um, so how did we get here? So the reason why Huddersfield Town are here is because in 2019, uh, and w- what we'll do at this point is we'll just recap over history. I know a lot of people know know the history of what's happened, and there's probably going to be nothing revelatory at this, at this stage. Um, but in 2019... Dean Hoyle had decided that due to his health and and when Dean went through those health scares, I think, I know it sounds really silly, I know his family are, are, are up here in terms of concern, but Huddersfield Town fans probably weren't a million miles behind because Dean Hoyle at, at, at this stage, I think, was was a roundly loved character, wasn't he, at Huddersfield? And, and we're not talking about 2019 here, we're talking about 2018 when it started. And, you know, he went through um, the issues that he did, didn't he? I'm not, I'm not going to try not to advertise those again but he he went through you know a a scary time and I think Huddersfield Town fans were were terrified for him and you know his family will obviously come nowhere near to how his family felt as a a football fan but I think it speaks volumes really that what Dean Hall's done for Huddersfield Town that we all sort of look at him as uh, as someone that we we care about really and that everybody sort of went through that with him as well and there was a number of rumors and you know and I think there was a lot of relief when he when he came through the other side wasn't he and you know and he's and he's um touchwood going to be be okay from now on I know he's, he's cited his health as a as a possible reason for leaving um and no one could blame him for for putting that first but in 2019 uh he had decided that due to that it was the right time for him to to move on um he rejected advances from a number of foreign-based investors. Um, the source for that is the interview that he's done on... Uh, he did a, a podcast interview with one of Danny's, uh, his son Danny's friends, didn't he? Um, which I can't remember the name of off the top of my head, but I'm sure you'll be able to find that on YouTube. Um, he, he rejected a number of foreign-based investors, and I think he might have even mentioned it on our podcast back then as well, um, in favour of a local one. I think he might have seen bits of himself potentially in, in Phil Hodgkinson, you know, a young, hungry Huddersfield, well, not young, but youngish in chairman terms, don't you? Uh, hungry Huddersfield fan. Um, you know, and one of the foreign uh, investors was rumoured to be the ones who shafted Wigan in the end, so maybe we dodged a proper bullet there. Um, he sold a 75% stake to Phil Hodgkinson with the remaining 25% to be transferred upon completion of Dean's direct loan repayments. Uh, Dean later said in that interview that if he was to get all of his direct loans back, then he would gift Canal Side back to the club, uh, which you know was, was something that was looked on with uh, as a benevolent act, if you like, at the time. Um, that actual deal at the time Jim was 
wasn't the most pop. It wasn't hundred percent popular, was it? And and that's not really a sort of slight on Phil as such. It was, it was more the structure of how it was all put together. Um, I remember uh, our lovely MP from this area, Barry Shearman. Um, <laughs> he decided he was gonna. There's a famous tweet, isn't there, about him looking into the golden parachute cash payments, <laughs> which um, he probably won't live down. You know, if it if it comes back up, but you know, he was going to talk about in parliament there's a lot of people sort of curious about the actual deal done um and essentially really it was a deal done for dean to get his director loans back wasn't it and then keep that 25 percent to sort of oversee to make sure that that happened really yeah i mean i think the curiosity was warranted in the end wasn't it because um many of those questions that were being asked by people were very pertinent and many of the conclusions that people were drawing with admittedly um, limited information that was in the public domain uh, turned out to be correct. Um, the, the main concern with that deal, well, the two main concerns were, number one, the structure, that the structure itself would place certain limits on, on Huddersfield Town's ability to compete and get back into the Premier League, which I think at the time we all thought would be the main goal and would be a reasonable goal. Um, until we played Derby and we thought, oh God, and then we sold our money. <laughs> um, and the second reason was, you know, there was obviously questions around um, Phil Hodgkinson's wealth, how much of that was, as they say, in the biz liquid that he could spend on the club. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 again, I wouldn't comment on or, or presume to know anything uh, about the circumstances or his wealth at that time but if you just looked at what was in the public domain you would kind of worry and think okay running a championship club requires a lot of money and you look around at the owners of all these other clubs and you kind of compared it and thought well I don't know whether that kind of stacks up um, that you know that might be an issue for us so you know the rest is history I think I, everyone went went into that with the with the best of intentions probably I can I can only assume um but you know what what happened happened and now we're here mm. I, I would say you're right jim that there was a lot of questions that people were asking that turned out to be true or turned out to be pertinent questions as you said but there was also an absolutely shocking amount of shite that was talked as well um there was all sorts of rumors flying around about the deal it was done this that and the other and some people were telling me that Phil had paid a tenner for the club. Some people were saying 10 million. Some people were saying 75 million. The The thing is, the information that was out there in the public domain, you know, I think you can ask those questions, but legitimately, nobody was expecting there to be a global pandemic, okay? And you can ask questions about Phil's liquidity, like you say, etc., but when Dean did that deal, whatever you think of the deal, as I said, nobody in the world believed what was about to unfold over the next two years would unfold. So you can go back and question aspects of it, but it was also like completely hamstrung by something that was out of everyone's control. I think what you have to understand is that Dean was trying to keep the club in the family, <laughs> if you like. You know, he was a very wealthy Huddersfield Town fan that he wanted to try and 
passed the club on to because he wanted to keep it within the realms of Huddersfield Town fans. He was owed an awful lot of money, okay. Which again, this isn't a defence, right? So I'm not I'm not trying to change anybody's mind or anything like that. But also, the idea of some sort of nominally just writing stuff off, it not everybody can it can do that, you know. They're they're. There is a huge amount of there's a huge difference between what you got in your bank account and what you're worth. You know, all of us have houses and mortgages, and technically we're worth what we've paid on, off on it. But it's not in my bank account. I mean, it might be in yours, Mister Shaw, but uh, yeah, it's certainly not in mine. So, I think you have to understand he was trying to do a deal from the right point of view. We can talk about what went right, what went wrong, etc. Till the cows come home, but. I I do think it was seriously altered by something no one was expecting. I think you would have to say Phil is probably. I know Jim's mentioned the, the potentially the best Huddersfield Town chairman of all time in the 1920s. I think history will probably look back and say Phil was probably the unluckiest Huddersfield Town chairman, perhaps. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that at all because you could see last season. And a lot of people don't like you pointing this out, but you could see last season that they were trying to set something up. There was a plan in place. The recruitment was done early. There were the way they'd expanded certain areas off the pitch in terms of, of spending money in places where people don't see it. Because as far as fans are concerned, all your money needs to go in concessions or on the pitch because <laughs> if you don't see it it doesn't exist so yeah i i agree with you very very unlucky we can sort of go round and round on it but i don't for a moment think that when dean did that deal he was sitting there going hmm i'm going to construct this deal like is it this is where i come back to the extraordinary amount of shite that was talked because there are people who think that that dean was sort of did that deal and it was sort of a Machiavellian pact where he thought, right, I'm going to get all my money and I'm going to get this club back eventually and all this sort of thing. Nothing of the sort. Nothing of the sort. Okay, so we're going to um, have a look into a couple of things which were included in that takeover, which we presume, so we're working on presumption, so it's important for us to Highlight at this stage that me and you know absolutely zero. I know less than zero. <laughs> we know absolutely nothing about um, the current situation with regards to who may be bidding for the club, uh, how much the club is going for. Me and me and Jim and Dave know absolutely nothing at this stage. Um, so it's important for us to do that. And everything that we're working on at the minute is completely presumptuous and it's based on uh, history, based on the 2019 deal. Uh, and based on uh, a couple of factors that we're looking at at the minute. And what we're going to try and do is try and work out exactly what may be part of the deal, um, whether that will be a stumbling block or a plus point, uh, and whether you know a prospective owner or what type of owner will, would, would look at Huddersfield Town. So, um, like I say, none of this is, is based on um, fact. knowledge or fact. It's, it's essentially... I profess everything I say with that. Just assume... <laughs> In the yeah. future, this is this is all based on presumption, isn't it? So, uh, just so just so that you guys know that, and we're not speaking from uh, any uh, in the know uh, knowledge or anything here. So, uh, so I think it's important to look at the previous sale, and because um, 
the reason why we're doing this podcast is because people are concerned about what's going on at Huddersfield Town Football Club. Currently, Huddersfield Town are bottom of the championship. It's not a good place to be. There's a debt. So the number one issue that we've got here is debt. Um, this is fact because we're, at, well, factish because we can see in the 2021 accounts, which are online for everybody to see, um, we, can, we can have a look at what is owed at Huddersfield Town and what was projected to be owed uh, for this year. Yeah, the 2022 accounts aren't out yet, so we can't speak from that point of view. But we can look at the 2021 accounts and then project and the, the projections over the next 12 months and advise what they were supposed to be. So the number one issue, Jim, for this is, is going to be the debt. And it's the... Uh, and Dave as well, sorry, Dave. And it's the director's loan debt. Right, so let's get down to the debt itself. So town's debt at this point in 2019 was £76 million, which is not small change by any stretch. Uh, £45 million was owed to Dean. I think he just had a payment of £15 uh, in that summer. Uh, and a £31 million bank loan was taken out just before the handover, cited it, citing a, a forwarding of parachute payments, of which some of it appears to maybe have been used to pay Dean back. Um, and, and the reason I've come to this conclusion is that Phil mentioned it was done to spread the, you know, the, the bank loan was taken to spread the risk. And at, at that moment, Dean was the only credit, you know, the only yeah, sort of I, person. The only thing money, I would so. say about that is while that, on the surface of it, that sounds a bit weird and a bit odd. That's very much how football runs. To, to give you a prime example, Watford, when they sell a player, what they tend to do, because it, we all know how a transfer works at this stage. So if you want to use the Huddersfield Town example, it's Philip Billing who went for 18 million, but Town didn't get 18 million in the bank account. They got 6 million one year, they got 6 million the following year, and they got 6 million the year after. What football clubs tend to do, so for example, Watford have, have literally just done this again, is essentially go to their the bank and sell that money coming into them. So the bank might give them, I don't know, say say it's a 20 million pound player, uh, they will sell it to the bank to be able to get 16 million now. So on the, on the subject of the debt and sort of that, that money being taken out against future parachute payments, that is a very football thing. Please note that is not me saying it is a sound financial way to go about running your business or your football club, but it sounds an awful lot more alarming than it actually is. Basically, all football clubs do that. The minute they've got something they can show on a balance sheet as potentially coming in, they've got some leverage with the bank to say, okay, well, could you give us a chunk of this money now if we sell you the whole thing? And obviously, this is me just trying to read it from a balance sheet rather than offering mm. an opinion on, on, on it at this stage. But I'll... Yeah, I'll again, count. again, that is not me saying it is a right and proper way to do things or it is a good no. thing or, you know, it's a sensible way to run a business, but it is just... A, a, a distinctly football thing. Yeah. Okay. I'll uh, I'll carry on with this. Nah. Okay. So Dean was the only debt prior, as I mentioned, um, unless obviously that went on on wages. Uh, from looking at the latest accounts and a little help from uh, our friend Mister Chicken, uh, the accounts indicate that at this stage the bank loan 
so the accounts came out in June 2021 um, for last year. So the accounts for this year aren't out yet. Uh, but what those accounts do is they do project over the next 12 months. So, so we're going to work from those projections. Um, so what they project is that um, the bank loan itself should be below 2 million. So around 1.8 million, which is not huge, is it, in terms of championship football. Uh, and the historic debt to Dean should be at 26 million. Uh, but this doesn't include what he will have had to put back in over the last 12 months because he came back in, didn't he, in November last year um, due to Phil's issues with uh, Pure. Um, and that's rumoured to be over £10 million. And I've taken that. Uh, the source for that is the interviews that Dean's done with Radio Leeds, etc., where he said he's had to put in um, a figure. He's essentially implicated that it's a figure over 10 million that he's he's had to put back in so with that in in mind um we're looking at possibly a minimum of a 38 million pound debt a minimum of a 38 million pound debt which is probably more by now um which would ironically be 38 million pounds is exactly half of what it was in 2019 so i think phil hodgkinson hasn't done a terrible job in reducing that really, uh, in my opinion. Um, Dean's direction as well is a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Because, and, and I mean the direction in terms of how he's, uh, how he's structured the deal back in 2019, the, the research I've done indicates a lot of owners tend to write off director's loans. Um, Marcus Evans at Ipswich was owed £105 million. Uh, he received £21 million in debt payments uh, and waived the rest off for 5% in a new club. Um, the Alams at Hull wrote off money as well, and so did, and twi- switching sports as well, so did David Argyle at Toronto Wolfpack, who put $300 million into something that didn't work. That must stink. <laughs> um, and he's obviously written off more than what it would cost to buy Huddersfield Town as well, which is is interesting. So the debt, guys, is, is going to be, I presume, to be the number one stumbling block because nobody really wants to buy something with f- over 40 million quid's worth of debt attached to it, really, do they? Yeah. I mean, the central question will be and is, does Dean Hoyle intend to recover all or some of his director's loans, either through the sale or otherwise? Until anyone figures out what the answer to that question is, we'll largely be in the dark over who would be interested, why they might be interested, and what the short to medium term future of the club will be. Um, you know, there's the old, very by now tedious joke, how do you become a millionaire? You buy a football club you know, as a billionaire, and then, you know, a millionaire. I think Elon Musk, uh, one of the worst people on the planet, used that uh, joke about uh, Twitter this week. Um, that's it, you know, like, it's not, a, it's, it's, there's a lot of numbers, you can dive into spreadsheets, but it's not complicated. That's the question. We don't know the answer to it. I, I want to come in here because I, <laughs> I don't think the debt's a stumbling block at all. I, I genuinely don't. I, I, think, I think you've got to understand that Huddersfield Town's debt is in line with a hell of a lot of championship debt and is actually pr- probably far better than a lot. And I think if somebody is seriously thinking about investing in a championship club, that debt is not going to scare them off, particularly when that debt is 
owed or a large proportion of that debt is owed to an individual who can be negotiated with. Now, it would be different. I think if you were to say, oh, 75 million and it was all to the banks, I think that could be a very different situation, hand on heart. But I think because the largest chunk of that is owed to Dean, I think you have to understand we can't presume anything. We don't know anything. This is this is gut feeling and, and previous experience. But I would be staggered if Dean was willing a to let there still be a debt owed to him once this deal is done. So what I mean by that is however this deal is constructed, I would be, as I said, staggered if Dean wasn't paid out and gone and done. Because as a new owner, you if you're serious about taking this club forward, you want that off the balance sheet or a, a, the biggest single chunk off the balance sheet. And if you're Dean Hoyle at this point, you want a clean break. Now, it may well be that Dean Hoyle sells the club and, uh, I don't know, only takes... Say he turned around and said, give me 15 million and I'll write the rest off etc no idea absolutely no idea that could well be a huge boon for whoever whoever takes it over but i just don't think the debt is a stumbling block you look at clubs like <laughs> you only need to scratch the surface at reading look at watford who live their life on ious and and these weird loans from the banks for money that they're getting in uh, you look at so many in the championship who are living a charmed life debt wise. I I genuinely don't think Huddersfield Towns is is going to be a massive issue in terms of people looking at it. I think there are issues, at which we'll we'll get onto. There are things that are prohibitive to just a normal sale, but I genuinely don't think that the debt comes into it. I should have maybe clarified a bit better on that one. I think the debt in retire. Um in relation to the position that we're in in the league at the minute, that debt to me, if we get relegated, becomes more pertinent because the amount of income to the club to offset, uh, you know, it obviously depends on how any new owner comes in, how it's structured, whether it's paid off immediately or whether it's done bit by bit, who knows? But for me, a large debt like that, okay, it's maybe not as big as, Maybe a, a a Watford one or Reddings is is ridiculous, isn't it? But if you're not bringing in the amount into the club at the same time, I think that debt, the debt and income, income and outcome, all of a sudden gets quite can be quite large and worrying, I guess. Yeah, but again, I th- I think don't write off the fact that you're negotiating with an individual for the biggest part of it, Matt. That's that's the thing. It's it's very very different when you've got. A situation where you've got not only have you got a huge debt, you've got a list of creditors a mile long. Um, you know, you're in hock to more than one bank. You're you've got you're on the line with local businesses and all this sort of thing. You only you like they who shall not be named. You don't need to look too far Leeds for an example made. of a <laughs> possibly <laughs> for an example of a football club where it wasn't just the levels of debt involved that were so prohibitive in in terms of when they were sold, the numerous times they were sold, but it was also actually trying to get to the bottom of it. I I spoke to somebody who was working over there and they said the problem was when the new owners came in, every time they opened the drawer, they kept finding a bill from someone Mm -hmm. as they walked around the stadium. And 
Huddersfield Town aren't run like that. You know, that there's not there. I completely understand what you're saying, Matt, and I'm not for a second saying it isn't an issue. I'm just saying I don't think it is as big a issue as some would make out. And who knows what Dean's going to do with it? Who knows what Dean's going to do? As Jim pointed out, you know, you do have people like Dave Whelan, et cetera, who've, who've written money off, but this is going to be a sale. And like I said, I, I, I'm just basing this on on sort of a hunch and everything else, but I just, I, I can't see that debt still being there once the sale's gone through. So there will be a negotiation on it. I'm absolutely positive. Point number two, which is Canal side and Dean in the previous uh, podcast that I did um, ex- explained quite explicitly that he would potentially be willing to gift that back to Huddersfield Town if he received his director's loan. So hopefully that shows some kind of willingness to negotiate or willingness to um, make it easier, if you like, for somebody to purchase the club. Although I suppose he won't do that immediately. But I'd expect to be part of the deal because... I would presume, on again the basis of no facts whatsoever, that it would be more beneficial for him to sell that to the new owners. I mean, I don't actually know the ownership structure of Canal Side, um, but I would just, I would just assume that he owns it in some way or, or, or shape or form through some kind of holding company or you rolling your eyes there. Uh, Canal, no, sorry, it's the alarm going off in the background. Oh, okay, yeah, Canal Side Holdings. I think it's Canal Side Holdings, yeah. isn't it, the, the company? Yeah, so I'd, I'd, assume, I'd assume it would make sense to sell it because, you know, selling it for X amount of millions of pounds now would make more sense than if we, you know, believe what what has, has been said in the public domain than receiving a relative pittance in rent every year. Um, so I, I, I would guess that, that would be part of any deal. Uh, my understanding from looking at the 2019 deal is that Huddersfield Town, or the owner of Huddersfield Town, owns the building work at Canal Side. Uh, like I say, I'll hold my hands up, this could be wrong. But I understand that the building work is owned by whoever owns Huddersfield Town. But the ground rental and the ground is, is owned by Dean Hoyle. Um, uh, so that, that you know, to, to someone who works in IT, that... You know, and, and sort of has a mortgage on a house and has very little inside information of how you know properties etc work. That's um, confusing to someone like well, me. I think I think it makes sense as well if you if you're trying to attract you know so a new buyer comes in and there are various things they want and what they want is the kind of whole package. So I think it would make it a lot easier for a new buyer if that was part of the deal and they didn't have some kind of complicated ownership stru- you know structure or situation regarding the training ground in the future yeah so let's have a look at canal side so in terms of canal side perhaps i think canal side is perhaps the most disappointing aspect of the premier league relegation um huddersfield fans were sold a 20 million pound dream <laughs> really um and what we were sort of led to believe at the time i think was that 20 million was sort of set aside and i think People such as myself thought the £20 million um, that the club sort of turned over in the first year, or the £20 million credit in the first year, if you like, of the uh, the accounts from 27, 8, 20, 2017 to 2018. Sorry, I could spit that one out. Uh, I think everybody thought that profit that the club turned was earmarked for Canal Side, if you like. Um, so 
that uh, that apparently didn't seem to become the case. Um, and Phil latterly did an interview with the Huddersfield Examiner, and uh, and in that Huddersfield Examiner uh, article. Uh, he said that you know once it was all totted up, it was going to be a twelve million pound investment. Uh, Six million pounds was to do the groundwork, if you like, the new pictures, uh, the irrigation system, the hut that you see at the front. You know all these little things. Uh, the new uh, the new pitch at the side where the car park used to be at Canal Side, and the other six million pounds was going to be if Huddersfield Town stayed in the Premier League, and that six million pound was going to be the uh, the building work change. So we saw the initial plans, and it looked like um, I think it's is it Elizabeth Tower um, at, on um, Castle Hill? Is that what it's called, Elizabeth Tower, Queen Elizabeth Tower? Jim's shaking his head. Um, he should know, being a steward of Huddersfield like he is, um, and doing all his uh, watching of the skies from up there. But <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, you know, it was designed, wasn't it, based on uh, Castle Hill, if you like, and and it looked fantastic. And I think there's a huge disappointment in Huddersfield fans that that's not what we've got in the end, but. Uh, apparently that's the cost of Premier League relegation at the time, so um, it is what it is. But um, I, I would say on that though, you can see where the money's been spent <laughs> when you're down there. You can't. It's not like they've scrimped and saved. You don't turn a corner and there's like a. It, it, it's not like one of these camping places in Qatar for the World Cup where like half of it's done and then there's just a load of sort of bags of concrete and stuff stacked up in one corner you I know that fans don't get to walk around it like they used to and go in and have a drink and all that sort of thing but trust me it's an incredibly impressive facility so you do like I I, I don't know what represents value for money really but it's. I know it probably isn't everything that was promised initially, but it's certainly more than enough for what Huddersfield Town need right now. So that aside, so Huddersfield Town spent six million pounds, if you like, on Canal Side doing Canal Side. As that's building work, mostly including the pitches, etc. I would imagine will be classified as building work, and that was effectively paid for by the club. Uh, you would expect that the owner. That that was paid for by the club, so you would probably expect that that is not something that you would maybe charge back to a prospective new owner. Yeah, I wouldn't. Ex- yeah, no. But then again, I don't. I, I'm not a denizen of the world of business, and I, I hear they do things differently in the world of business to what <laughs> we not we uh, we mere mortals do in our day to day lives. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So the the canal side itself needs to be purchased you're looking at the 2019 agreement so canal side i'm sure and dean obviously is wanting to make a clean uh, a clean break isn't he so you know he's he wants to sort of um wash his hands of everything there's no 25 percent ownership he, he, he you know he wants to return to um i don't think he'll return to his seat in the kill in the bank will he i think he'll probably have a box somewhere you know somewhere nice and warm and, and that's absolutely fair as well absolutely yeah I, I, I be, it'd be a sad day if dean felt like he couldn't come back to the football club once he sold it really um but, I, don't, you know, I don't think i don't think that will happen no, I, either i, I think I you know with you know with time comes a bit of perspective and i think people will be uh appreciative of of you know his his tenure and his stewardship Yes, yeah, so uh, Canal Side will be part of, or what we believe will be part of um, the purchase, if you like. So we're probably looking in the region of sort of six, seven million pounds plus for Canal Side, and that's, you know, 
quite a, a hefty agreement, isn't it? So you would imagine that you know the ground rental or that that side will come with it as well, and that the whole package will will be sold as well. Um, and Canal Side is not the only thing that will be sold as part of it. So this is not just the case of buying a football club. It is buying the structures that come with it and the structures of Canal Side and the stadium share. Uh, one thing that Dean battled furiously away back in sort of 2012, 13, 14, those sort of days with the green, li- the lime green T-shirts, etc., um, was to get the stadium share back from Huddersfield Sporting Pride Limited. Um, and to put it in a trust. Yes. So I think it was very clear, wasn't it, as time went on, that Ken Davies, um, the reason Ken Davies bought Huddersfield Town in 2004 was effectively to safeguard the stadium. And by safeguarding the stadium, he will be safeguarding Huddersfield Giants. And I think that's where some of the resentment towards Ken Davies comes Which, again, I think is fair. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's fair. But I think... I mean, it didn't. It did, oh, look, it, did, it didn't turn out well. I mean, I'm a Huddersfield Giants fan. I'm a Huddersfield Town fan. Um, it didn't turn out uh, necessarily well in the long run for Huddersfield Town, and, and that broke down in in, in acrimony. And you know, it's absolutely um, positive it's, development it's, it's that Dino ru- bought the club. It's probably ruined the um, relationship between the two football clubs yeah, for yeah. the last fifteen years, hasn't it? Really, yeah. and and that to me, as a, as a fan of both, same as you, is a, is a real shame because. You see the. I know this is going completely off topic, but the the Huddersfield Giants' attendances are probably a result of the football fans or people who put the football team first in Huddersfield being so disengaged with them now because of what went on before um, that it's it's a shame almost. And yeah, no, and hopefully we. Hopefully it's time for a reset when you know when when yeah. When and we'll put a but, we'll put through. a button in the Huddersfield Giants because that's not really part of the yeah. the thing. But I mean, but but it, is in, it, it would be it nice is, to see a reset. Yeah. It is in a sense, you know, because you know from what Huddersfield Hub reported maybe a year ago now or maybe eighteen months ago, there was a potential deal where the council would loan Huddersfield Town some money at low interest. They would pay it back over a very long period. Huddersfield Town would gain operational control over the stadium, invest that money in an attempt to maximise um, revenue, they would also take on all the benefits that that would um, confer. So they would take a lot more of the revenue and they would also take on all the liabilities, you know, so infrastructure, repair, et cetera, et cetera. There's, um, from, there's from a price on that repair. This, we are into step three now, which is the stadium share and the stadium, and step four really is the stadium ownership. So yeah, we can yeah. tie this together uh, in a nice little bow. Um, we... We've previously heard of the figures that you know that uh, are required for to repair the stadium over the next sort of ten years or so, and and it's not. It's it's a lot of. I mean, it's, it's, it's millions lot, yeah. potentially, upwards of 10, 10 million. There's a lot of stuff there that hasn't hasn't been um, updated, upgraded, replaced since the stadium was built, as far as I'm aware. So heavy plant machinery, in particular, generators, boilers. Um, etc etc it's very inefficient um, and it's probably close to, to breaking down so that that will all need I mean it will absolutely need replacing um, before it fails uh, also parts of the stadium could do with a lick of paint as well I don't know how much it could, it could nip around the corner to B&Q or something I don't know how much how much paint they would need but it's as, big B&Q yeah as far as I understand from, from reading the interview that Stephen Chicken did with the new chief exec David Baldwin in the examiner they are working on some kind of different kind of deal 
for the club to take on operational control and for the Giants to become subtenants. And again, the aim of that is, is twofold. Most immediately, it seems, there's an idea that the stadium can generate more money um, in general and for the football club itself. And secondly, that this would make the football club a much more attractive proposition to a potential buyer. Shall we say this is the ill effects of Il Devo, if you like? Because if you remember back in, I think it was around 2004. I'm too cool to know who Il Devo are. Oh, I, I only so. know that Il Devo were a bunch of um, older gentlemen, shall we say, maybe opera singers or something like that. And But they were sort of the last uh, concert that was planned, weren't they, in 2004. And then there was absolutely nothing for years. Yeah, it's a little um, mix, which I attended. Little mix, yes. Oh, Christ, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Um, little mix attended. And little mix ruined the uh, the end, didn't they? For, so for a full season, uh, the Panasonic end became the little mix end, didn't it, after the... Um, I'll have nothing said against Little Mix. They were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so the Little Mix end was uh, was quite synonymous, but Little Mix, I suppose, and um, what they had last year as well, um, they had a, a good concert last year with Green Day, didn't they, Weezer. It shows um, the potential M- of the stadium. Muse. Muse, I think, yeah, uh, I think Muse. Coming up. Yeah. So it shows the potential, doesn't it, of the stadium to be used. I know... Leeds have built the first direct arena since, but that's only a finite number of people. I don't think it holds more than 10,000. I should know this because I live around the corner, but it doesn't hold more than sort of 10,000-ish, whereas Huddersfield, you can get 30,000, 40,000 people in there, can't you? Not only in the seats, obviously, but on the pitch as well. So it's a really good sort of open-air venue. And um, obviously, if you get 40,000, the ticket prices for Muse and Green Day, completely out of my space. Yeah, I mean, but 150 quid, uh, 40,000 people, 150 quid, and that is going to yeah, churn yeah. some money over. So it's the, it's, the, it's the evil monopoly of Ticketmaster. I don't know if you've got <laughs> many gigs, but everything just costs a fortune now, gig-wise. Mate, it's, it's I absolutely refuse to print my own tickets off at home and pay two quid for it. Oh, I absolutely no, yeah. cannot do with that. But, you know, it shows the potential of the stadium as well. Huddersfield as a venue... You know, it's 10 minutes from the train station, so you can walk down from there. There's parking available on Leeds Road. It's it's a good place. Uh, I know there are a couple of uh, points, weren't they, where people are sort of escaping from um, the stadium, which probably need to be worked on. <laughs> That's me every week, uh, yeah. 80, 80 minutes normally. <laughs> but it shows the potential of the stadium, and to a prospective new buyer, that you can attract, uh, you can attract crowds mm. with regards to... Um, you know, musical acts and it doesn't have to stop there. You know, you can use the internal bits where the White Rose Club are for other things, you know, com- comedians, etc. Yeah, and if you have um, if you have operational control or, or the leasehold or, exactly, or whatever, yeah. then, you know, that'd be something that you'd be, be really part of your strategic vision for the, the stadium and, you know, ultimately for generating more revenue for the club. Exactly. And so, you know, it's not having control of the stadium really puts the onus on you then to organise, you know, these sort of things. And, and Huddersfield Town as a primary tenant can organise these things in advance. You have to book people 12 months in advance. So there is no excuse to say, oh, well, the summer rugby, so we can't organise it around summer rugby like they used to do. That's complete bollocks because, you know, the fixtures come out at the start of the year for the rugby, you know, and you've got 12 months in advance to book for that. And obviously Huddersfield Giants or Huddersfield Town can say, look, Football League or Super League, we can't play in Huddersfield at this date. We need an away fixture, and it's really easily done. So I won't take any sort of excuses. Yeah, on, and I think it was that. always the intention. For not it. that you're giving me excuses. I'm Jim, not giving but, you any but excuses. But I can but do it if you want. I'll KSDL, I think, have in the yeah, past yeah. sort of hidden behind. Or maybe well, not I mean, KSDL. You know, but what is KSDL? It's 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 all the stakeholders. So I, I think sometimes they get some stick. I think sometimes 
KSDL says this, KSDL says we can't do this. At the end of the day, the stakeholders, you know, are kind of have a lot of leeway there, and I think it's often used as an excuse. So it was always intended to be a multi-use community stadium. It was partially funded by taxpayers. It's been bailed out by taxpayers, I believe, on a couple of occasions. So, you know, that stadium needs to be there for the use of the community. It needs to be there, in my opinion, for the use of the rugby club, for the football club, for people who want to go to the gym, for people who want to go to a conference, for people who want to go to a gig. I think it's very important in a town like Huddersfield, and I think it can, it can be made to work for everybody, including the football club. I agree with that. Uh, right, so we've talked about the work. The thing I would say here is that I've said I don't think the debt is a massive issue in terms of people who are serious about buying this football club. I've said that, you know, Canal side, again, I don't think that's a massive issue because I think I think when you're structuring a deal, people are going to look at that and they're going to see where the money's going to be has been spent and the benefit and they're going to do what it, what they need to to make sure that facility is untouched however that structure in the deal the stadium for me i agree with everything you've just said the stadium for me is the thing that i think investors are looking at going what <laughs> because that's your big revenue generator and and any investor who wants to come in and buy huddersfield town needs to be in control of their biggest revenue generator and it's a weird situation town have got on the quiet <laughs> it's quite an odd setup and it's not really working it's been a dysfunctional relationship for quite a few years we all know that that's that's not a shock for anyone they're trying to get this deal done, but we've heard lots and lots of things about people trying to get a deal done. You know, Phil Hodgkinson majored on his interview when he wore that terrible T-shirt uh, with Radio Leeds. Um, and he sort of talked about he felt he was getting close with something with the stadium. They've got to do something because you're exactly right. It needs to be a community hub, but it needs to be a community hub that Huddersfield Town are not only in control of that they're making money from because even when times are really, really good, there is a, there is an upper limit to, to what they can make from that stadium, but they have to make the upper limit. You know, if they, if they're serious about becoming this top 30 club in the country, which, you know, people laughed at Phil when he said that, but that's a perfectly legitimate and appropriate aim the stadium is the thing that is going to hold them back. The stadium is the thing that's going to make or break the deal. You know, not the level of debt owed to Dean Hoyle and, and not Canal Side and everything else. So I think it's quite a tricky situation to resolve. And I think it's, from my point of view, I'm looking at Huddersfield Town have put somebody in place who's sort of there to help try and sell this club, which we know is a stated aim of, of, Dave, uh, Dave Baldwin, isn't it? He's he's been he's there with Dean Hoyle as blessing to to try and broker this deal. The problem is, it's one deal with that stadium under some sort of long term control. And like you say, there's lots of ways that might happen, leaseholds and various other things. But it's a completely different deal without, and somebody else has got to come in and essentially start all over again because that's what will that's what will happen you know that the, the you could talk to phil hodgkinson and mark devlin 
about the deal, but they're gone. So you've then got to start talking to somebody else, and that's, say, Dean Hoyle and Dave Baldwin. But once they're gone, you've then got to start doing exactly the same thing. And at some point, this has got to be resolved. And for me, this is the big issue, that when you think about people looking in from the outside, they're going to go okay, well, if I go and spend £150 million on this football club, how come I'm barely making anything on a match day? How come I, I'm not in, I can't do what I want in this stadium? How come I can't leave Huddersfield Town signs and, you know, stuff up around the stadium between games? How come I have to, you know, this little army comes in and sort of neutralises the stadium? It, it's... Yeah, for me, this is the big one. This is the single biggest thing. I mean, I don't know anything about ruining a stadium. I just throw that out. I have no <laughs> idea about ruining a stadium. No, none of us are. On paper. But, you know, we have to play the you know we have to play the, the part here, don't we? So, um, so the stadium itself shouldn't really be an issue. The, the issues around the stadium are obviously the money that's going to be required to upgrade it. But, you know, that's not necessarily going to have to come from a new owner, which is good because, you know, there was a structure in place with Phil and the council. I think that's dead. Which is probably dead, but you know that I'm sure but, there is. I'm sure the some, council. I'm yeah. sure KSDL are just going to go. I tell you what, no, you're going to have to fund this all yourself. Yeah, I'm so sure there's going to be some. It kind seems of like from from David Baldwin's comments, it seems like there's some kind of other structure to the deal that that would work for the football club. Um, but they obviously but they've got to get that done. Probably not close to being completed. Uh, but it shows that it shows how important the football club believe that is to both the long-term future of the club and making sure that a buyer is interested enough to, to come in and, and put some money down. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cosy, what, what's your favourite away day? Matt, it's got to be the city ground at Nottingham. Just old school stadium, you're right near the pitch, great atmosphere. But there's nothing like playing at home. Same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, so we've looked at some of the main drivers which will affect the decision-making behind somebody coming in. So they've got to effectively purchase a debt. They've got to purchase canal side because I'm sure Dean doesn't want to hang on to, to that. Um, the stadium share, uh, which, as we've mentioned, has to be put into a trust. So, well, I mean, it doesn't so we, have to be. Well, it should be. It should, yeah. So, well, I mean, so obviously that's let's, what let's briefly for, go back to 2012, and that was what initially Hoyle and the lime green T-shirts were fighting for, wasn't it? They wanted um, the share to come back from Huddersfield Sporting Pride, aka Ken Davy, and they wanted that then to be put into a trust, and that was what was supposed to happen, wasn't it? Mm. And that never did really. And that, did. that was actually part of the deal. That, that, that was mooted between the council and the other shareholders recently was that the, the money would be 
forwarded to the club, the club would take operational control and then every shareholder would agree to put their shares into a community trust overseen by trustees. Um, I, I, I probably seriously doubt at, that's at this stage, probably what is it now, like maybe 10 years on, that there's any intention to put those shares into a trust. I think they will just be used as part of the deal and they'll be, they'll be sold. And depending on which owner comes in, I don't think any Americans would be interested in putting them in a trust. I don't think any, uh, any um, whatever, <laughs> don't be careful here, but any kind Canadians? of like, Can- Canadians, any, anyone they, else? <laughs> they, they, I think they'd be more likely to. Um, no, but so I, I think, think they're that, all about that, dear. Yeah, all, all, about, <laughs> all about the trust. Um, I, I would basically assume that the, the shares will be sold as is, as part of the deal, and the new owners would take them as part of the deal. And when they sell the club, they will sell the stadium shares as well. I mean, I, I I'm suppose just the last guessing. thing we want really is for a prospective new owner who has no ties to Huddersfield using it as a bargaining chip somewhere. Yeah, I mean, there's ways. As far as I'm aware, I mean, I'm not, I'm not with HTSA anymore. I'm, I mean, I don't speak for them. However, I do think they do fantastic, wonderful work. And one of the fantastic things they did recently was get the stadium defined as an asset of community value, which would make it a lot more difficult for any prospective owner, and and let's just say that this owner has nefarious intentions to sell the stadium and, you know, build houses on it or something like that. I'm pretty sure that'd get blocked by the council, wouldn't it, as well? So, Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll be be okay. It's the extra, extra layer of protection. So, I mean, yeah. What I would say is I think that I agree that I think there should be some sort of share structure. There should be something put in a trust. But I think in the first instance, just get a deal done. You know, like it's a very easy way for owners to get a very big win with the fans to come in. And once they've got everything sorted and the deal's in place to then at some point say, okay, we're going to, you know, give over a proportion of this stadium or we're going to put it in some sort of trust or we're going to give a chunk of it to the HCSA. Whatever they choose to do, that's fine. But at the moment, it feels like what any deal needs is clarity, not a load of, well, this is going to happen once this has happened and this is going to go there and this is going to go there. So while I think, yeah, that is still a sort of very noble long-term aim and that's exactly where we want to be, and I also think it's a measure by which you can probably look at the new owners, you know, if if within 12 to 18 months of having that stadium under control, they are talking about doing that and they are making moves to do that. Absolutely great. But in, in the initial instance, there just has to be an agreement with the club, you know, and we'll worry about everything else after because it's it's dragged on for too long. It's too murky in terms of not in terms of anything you know bad going on but in terms of this whole situation around the amount of people that have been talked to been talking about on both sides and all of this it just needs some clarity and i think that clarity needs to come from one deal being done to get this stadium into huddersfield town's hands some way shape or form and then we'll worry about you know trusts and various other things Okay, so we've talked about the debt, the canal side, stadium share, the stadium ownership. And I think the last thing to sort of touch upon on this really is is how much Huddersfield Town is worth. Because you're currently looking at a, a club that has sat uh, 44th in the pyramid of the Football League next year. So 
they mentioned that there's a backlog, haven't they, uh, in terms of Dean acquiring the the primary share, if you like, from Phil, you know, the 100%, uh, three months, and then they reckon it'll take three, four months for a new buyer to actually uh, go through the process and purchase the club. Um, as far as we're aware, no buyer is in place at the minute, so it's not going to happen this season. So nobody's going to come in as a white knight in January, spend a load of money, and keep Huddersfield Town up in the championship. So they could potentially buy and be buying a League One club next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I believe that the time range that was was given by David Baldwin at the last ATT meeting, which was last week, was between six six months and three years. Which is, could be a potentially very long time. Now, what David Baldwin said in his examiner interview is that Dean Hoyle intends to fund the club in perpetuity. So that that is a, but that, that goes is back a good to point one, to. doesn't it? The debt, because yeah. that will obviously come back again. Yes, exactly. That that is the central the central issue, and that's why the question that I asked earlier, being the central question, is kind of the only question that matters now. It's the only question that's going to tell us. Um, how the deal will go through and how, how the club's long-term future might pan out. Yes, so let's answer the question, how much is Huddersfield Town worth? It's very difficult to sort of put a finger on this because we, we don't value football clubs. Um, Dave, I'm sure, has written about the value of football clubs. Uh, <laughs> but as it stands, it looks like if we tally up the debt, which is going to be in excess of £40 million, Canal side, we've mentioned £6 million plus the ground rent, I don't know, 7 million quid. Let's just pluck that out of thin air. 47 million quid, and then the stadium shares on top, and, you know, the actual owner share and et cetera. You, you're looking probably in excess of 50 million quid, let's say, for Huddersfield Town Football Club. And and for its assets as well. So that, that buys you everything associated with Huddersfield Town, which to me, looking at other clubs of a similar structure and similar size, is probably almost double what someone would want to pay for a club of Huddersfield stature. So this is why we've talked about the debt, because it is a stumbling block. And you yeah. look at comparable clubs, so I know you've spoken to uh, people at Hull, uh, we look at Ipswich. Ipswich, people would say Ipswich are a bigger club than Huddersfield, uh, which... Which I people? Find me them. I'll, I'll argue with them. People in Ipswich. Uh, <laughs> but they, you know... You know, the history of Ipswich It's a difficult is place to get to. <laughs> it is a difficult place to get to. Um, a strength and weakness, maybe, of Ipswich. Uh, Portsmouth, maybe, you know, looking at these football clubs. And we've got some figures. Uh, do you want to talk about Hull briefly? So I think Hull was rumoured to be £30 million. I think there's some similarities between Hull and Huddersfield. Uh, I think the stadium has a similar kind of ownership situation going on. Um, there are no buildings over three storeys in Hull which I think would have knocked down the value. Um, but I don't know. I'd probably say on the basis of just kind of winging it, that's probably around what Huddersfield Town should be worth. Tw- 25 to 35 million quid. Okay. I, I mean, again, pure guesswork. I, I think just to come in a little bit there, I think the football club is worth what someone will pay for it. So... I don't. I don't think you're like a million miles south of of your valuation there, but there are so many factors that come into play. Um, strong negotiations to be done as well. That I think that it, 
the other thing you have to remember is that a lot of people might look at that and go, okay, 30 million to buy the club, great, but it's not 30 million because it's the debt as well. And it's canal side, as you said. So you're probably looking at a total deal of, I don't know, so some certainly somewhere north of a hundred million, probably not too far north, but you know, a hundred million pound outlay. So I I think that buying football clubs as well, what you I, I know like Jim alluded to right at the start, the problem is we know an off we know too much about football club ownership at this point. Because it seems that every week that some clubs being taken over or some clubs in trouble because their owners are are absolute uh, criminals. But what I would say is buying a football club is really, really complicated, really complicated. And there is a lot of hidden costs and costs of costs and costs on top of costs. So God knows what the final figure will be. I have, you know, honestly, God knows. And whatever the final figure is sort of semi-published as, it won't be that either. <laughs> so the two clubs that I felt I thought were slightly comparable, Ipswich was sold for thirty-five million. That was in League One. Um, I'm sure Ipswich should have gone for more. And as you said, that was with a massive write down of debt from Marcus Evans. Yes. Seven. That Marcus Evans wrote off, you know, around eighteen, ninety million quid or something there, which is insane really, isn't it, when you think about it. Yeah. Uh Portsmouth uh was two thousand seventeen, so that's pre-COVID, so I'm not sure whether that increases or decreases the valuation. Um, that went for around £15 million to Portsmouth. Um, At the time, where were they in League Two? Or it's a good question, actually. They could have just been the, the rising, but they bought them from... Fan-owned the, the, at the time? They were fan-owned, so they were owned by the um, Portsmouth fans. So um, Michael Eisner came in, um, of Disney fame, believe it or not, uh, came in and... Which and character is he? Which Pixar <laughs> film is he in? <laughs> Who knows? That's terrible, isn't it? Um, but will Dean have to take a cut or write anything off? And and to be honest, when you look at those figures, you, you kind of think, well, maybe... I know he's already said previously that he would gift Canalside to Phil if he if he paid off the director loans, etc. It may not be on the table this time, may or may not be on the table, who knows. Um, you think, realistically, to get a deal over the line, he may have to potentially make one or two... Sacrifices, yeah, maybe, I mean, it's, maybe it's not. always easy to sacrifice other people's of money, course, yeah, and, 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 you know, yeah. if that's 20 million quid that you know he has to sacrifice, he could have invested that in crypto and, and it'd be worth a tenth of what it is soon. So, <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of opportunities out there. Maybe he has, maybe who knows, yeah, jet coin, <laughs> yeah, maybe he's a big doggy coin, dog, doge coin, doge fan. coin yeah. that's it. We're not advertising any of these, don't buy any of these yeah, absolutely yeah. horrendous assets that will lose you all this money, please. So, <laughs> just, you didn't really answer the question there, did you? It was like, no, um, <laughs> I would be happy um, for the future of Huddersfield Town Football Club, for Dean Hoyle or anyone in the future to, to take a cut on uh, what they're owed. Um, that's best for the football club. It's up to them to decide what's what the balance between their interests yeah. and the interests of the football club are. Yeah, what's good for us might not be good for Dean, obviously. Go back to something you said, though, Matt, as well. I think it's important to remember there is a League One price and a Championship price. There's no getting away from that I think everybody at the football club will know that as well that's that's the thing um and all of those all of those valuations change over the summer if that's the case now we hope it's not and there's a lot of reasons to think that town can get out of this and hopefully stay in the championship in the new year um but they need to certainly get their boots on and 
start going about that fairly quickly. Um, but yeah, it's it's unavoidable that whatever, we, however we talk around it, etc. There are definitely two different price points here. It also it's also a balance of well, who's going to come in and pay that money? Because none of the none of the whoever the investors are, they're not over a barrel. You know, Dean Hoyle wants to sell the football club, so. As an investor, I kind of feel like I'm in a bit of a position there where I can go, well, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm don't have to pay you anything. You're the one who wants to sell the club. So I think it might be in the interests of Dean Hoyle. I'm going to just say, you know, Dean Hoyle or whoever owned the football club now or in the future to say, okay, I'm going to cut my losses to X or, or, or Y millions of pounds because that's going to make, mean that the sale goes through. And rather than getting zero pounds and having to put in 10 million pound a year to the football club, I get whatever thirty million pounds, and I walk away, um, and I invest it in you know whatever I invest it in, or I spend it on a you know a theme park in my back garden. Okay, so like you say, it's easy to spend other people's money. So we'll we'll see how that one plays out. Um, and I've done it; it's really easy. Yeah. yeah. So, Huddersfield Town fans really sort of, I think, up to a certain age, my age included. How old's that? Um, old enough will understand Dave's a little bit older than me um, <laughs> will understand don't believe it you're both look, you don't, none he's of you far greater than me 30. Dave's far greater <laughs> than me um, but that's because I dye my hair but anyway move on and um, so we only know the one sort of method don't we the um, the all encompassing emperor if you like um, style ownership which is what Dean was Ken Davey was uh, prior to Ken Davey I know of Unlike you, I think, uh, young whippersnapper, there was um, a group of five people um, in the 90s who, and this is sort of what I grew up on, or started taking notice of town's ownership, if you like, and I enjoyed it, really. There was um, four people. Uh, David Taylor uh, was probably one of the primary shareholders, and what a great guy David Taylor is, by the way. I'd love to get him on the podcast one day and talk about some of, experience, some of his experiences. Uh, Malcolm Asquith. Uh, Jeff Heddy, uh, obviously Lena Heddy's um, uncle, uh, Game of Thrones fame there. Never uh, watched it, never watched it. <sighs> Weirdo. No. Uh, and uh, I, can't, you know, I forget the last one, was it Robert Whiteley? Uh, was another one? Uh, I think it was Whiteley because of the garden. I, I always think of the garden centre. Garden centre, <laughs> yeah. The sorry. garden centre magnet. Sorry to Robert Whiteley. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Terry Fisher was obviously the, the youngest chairman in the Football League at the time, and he was ousted for talking too much in the 90s as Huddersfield Town were promoted. Um, so he was kicked out, wasn't Can he? Effectively, I, mean, I hope I'm not ousted from anything <laughs> for that very reason. There would be yeah, good, we're, good we're in trouble, so. we? Yeah, so Terry Fisher left, but you know, I I really liked that structure of of four on a board or five on a board because what you've got there is when it when you get a Dean Hoyle situation where somebody needs to sort of say right that's enough for me, you've still got some form of continuity there, and they can sort of cover cover the slack whilst you get somebody else in if you like so I've always been a fan of that Crystal Palace have a very similar sort of ownership structure as well where they've got a number of different Americans and Steve Parrish heads that doesn't he um, Nor- Nor- Norwich have Norwich. thousands of shareholders Ed Balls don't they as well yeah, yeah. and Mervyn King former governor of the Bank of England not, not the darts player not the darts player right so they, they you know it's a really interesting structure and there are more than just the emperor model aren't they so Jim take us through the different types of ownership models that are around so people may or may not be aware of what's out there and what potentially could be well yeah there's kind of ownership models and there's kind of like who might buy the club so i might just kind of combine them all so you've got the let's start domestically 
there's probably two kinds of options that are most likely. So wouldn't you have a Dean Hoyle type figure or, or a Phil Hodgkinson type figure who has a connection to the club and has some money to spend? I mean, I don't know of, of any of them. So I'm not sure whether that would happen. Um, Patrick Stewart? Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I think that yeah, might that have ship by a sailed, actually. Um, it sailed, it flew off into the uh, Orion. Into, uh, yeah, the Orion into belt. The, yeah. Exactly, yeah, the, the <laughs> Horsehead Nebula. Um, and you saw it from uh, Emily Marmast. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, might as alluding to the fact that I, I once ran a sceptical UFO podcast, but I'd like to point out that it was done with Sheffield Hallam University, <laughs> and it was all above board and... and based on empirical evidence. Um, when you've kind of got the, the, the other domestic option, which is just a really rich person who wants to buy a football club. and right, So like Marcus Evans was rumoured to be interested in the club. I think there was some About a year ago, to yeah. that rumour, yeah? And so you kind of think, yeah, he's, he's worth a billion quid, but like, why would he want to own Huddersfield Town? That's always like the, the question that you ask yourself. The next kind of option is when you go abroad and you think... There's Americans, they like buying sports clubs. They have, I think there's benefits of, of, of that. Um, number one, they tend to have like a, this is, I don't know, this is like a cultural stereotype, but tends to be like a real focus on revenue generation, a real focus on customer service, on getting to know, you know, like the, the people who are spending the money with you. Um, often, you know, kind of at least early on, like trying to ingratiate themselves. There does seem to be a trend with a lot of American owners that they don't tend to bring their own money. They tend to, um, you know, kind of bring some kind of hedge fund or, or private capital, you know. So looking at Burnley, I think Burnley. Burnley, Swansea, I believe. Yeah. Uh, well, Manchester United is the best example. Yeah, so true. that could lead to the club being, the, the, the deal effectively leveraging the club and loading it with debt. Um, there's the, you know, the, I mean, uh, some kind of Middle Eastern dictatorship seems to be quite a popular model of, of football ownership at the, at the time. You know, obviously the, benefit of that is you know they've got billions and billions of um pounds and and the the downside of that is that um it's funded by these horrendous totalitarian dictatorships that oppress every kind of group you can imagine so certainly something for 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 me you know everybody has has their own opinions but if you know if we were bought by someone like saudi arabia or whomever i would i would just i would never put you know, a penny into the football club and I'd stop watching them. I'd probably chill, still check the scores on live score. Um, Not surfer score. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but so but you know, like but then you know, plenty of people I think would would think okay, like this is potentially billions of pounds. I just feel town can com- compete, and so and and I don't think there's any. You know, I'm not, I think, I'm yeah, not I think you would get, um, has a I think you would get a Man City, so and so have yeah. it, so and so have it. So why shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah exactly. So and, and, and everyone that. makes their own personal personal judgment, and and that you know that's absolutely right. So I just expressing my opinion. And then you've kind of got these these other models. So these are the kind of the dictator models, right? So metaphorically and in some cases literally. <laughs> um, the other option is you kind of have a multi-stakeholder ownership situation. I think there's great benefits to that. Like like your like Norwich is a really good example um, where you kind of spread the risk, you spread the responsibility. There has to be a bit more transparency. Um, there has to be a bit more collective decision-making. It means that you have to have public AGMs, etc. cetera. Um, there's the fan ownership model, probably far away from, from anything um, that we could consider, but there are there are clubs in England who are fan owned. Well, you know, obvious ones like you know Wimbledon, but I Ebbs, think Luton, 
Uh, yeah, but Luton, I think, are partially fan-owned. Swansea are partially fan-owned by the trust. Uh, Norwich, I think the trust is the 13th largest shareholder. Um, so, um, you know, it, it, perhaps in a distant future, you would have something like a, a German model where, you know, there's kind of a, a members club and then a corporate structure with, you know, kind of um, experienced people in the club. So I think that's kind of all the potential ownership models that there would be. I would expect that, the most likely one is a group of, I'm just going to say American investors, but it could be it could be Canadian, it could be you know whatever, but a group of investors using someone else's money to buy the club, or a domestic kind of individual who just you want to train set basically. Sorry, Dave, you're going first. Uh, what I would say, Jim has sort of very eloquently been through the various models of ownership there. There are bad examples of all of them, but there are also good examples of all of them. <laughs> um, I have my own moral uh, issues with golf states, etc., coming in and sports washing, using football clubs to their own ends, to be frank. Um, and I'm my position is very similar to Jim's, really, on it. And I'll leave it at that. But there are, you know, whether it's hedge funds or whether it's an individual or uh, however you however you look at it, there are good and bad examples. And that's really what all of this comes down to. You want the right person, not a person right now. So why are, so hedge funds are becoming increasingly popular, aren't they? Uh, or I should say football clubs are becoming increasingly popular with which hedge, hedge fund managers. Um, why is that? Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, first, probably there's a prestige element to it. Um, second, who who has money to own a football club nowadays? You know, um, not not many individuals or institutions. So um, hedge funds are up there, aren't they? Um, they've got a lot of other people's money to spend. To be fair, it, uh, it's so. also because, believe it or not, they're seen as a very reliable investment because a football club, a hedge fund, would back itself to put the right people in and run a football club at least in a semi-competent way. Uh, what I mean by that is they would believe they can run a football club that is not going to lose any value. So the thing is, if if a hedge fund came in and bought Huddersfield Town, what they would want to do is get them into the championship and their ambitions would be to stay a championship club above all else because that means you don't lose against the investment. And why hedge funds are interested? Because then Huddersfield Town get into the Premier League and suddenly there is a, a huge leap uh, in the amount of money that can be generated uh, and pushed through the club, and they can potentially broker a sale, etc. You look at all these hedge funds that invest in these clubs, when it does come to sale time, the key thing is very, very rarely do they make a loss because they do their homework and they make sure they're picking the right one because they're playing with a lot of people's money. It's not just one person's investment. And the thing about town is I don't think that debt is a massive issue. I don't think canal side is an issue. I think the stadium is an issue that if it's resolved suddenly goes off the table. I think if you look at the way they're running, I think if you look at town's wage bill, et cetera, you know, hedge funds would certainly be looking at that and going, Okay, you know that's that's might be a reasonable thing to put a hundred million quid into, in the hope that in a few years we might make three hundred million quid out of it. So that's that's why hedge funds are 
interested, but whether there would be one interest in Huddersfield Town or not, because they they also factor in all sorts of things in terms of the area, economic growth and development of the area, etc. And all of that comes into play when you look at Huddersfield Town. So, but but that's why really one that's quite in. I think you can Google this without me getting in trouble. Is MSD. So they uh, they lent money to Southampton. Uh, I think Burnley have got a loan from them. You know, and they're they're a hedge fund management as well, MSD Capital. And what they were quite happily doing during COVID was going right. We will provide you with ten million, and you can pay this back over X amount of years with a percentage, and that would drip feed back in rather than big payments, and that would be better for tax reasons for for them rather than you know say they would have ten million quid that they could be taxed on, for example. Um, to then put that into a football club and then have that back, which is drip fed. When you think about it, it's mad that a club like Southampton, a well-established Premier League club, who have all the benefits of the um, revenue distribution from the TV deal and, you know, rich owners, that they felt the need to take out a loan from a hedge fund just to suggest that, that chasing that dream is unsustainable. I think it is for everyone. Always comes it? down to one thing though, Jim, and that's wage bill. Whenever you scratch the surface of all of these things, it's always wage bill. And it's to be, like you say, you know, they're in the established Premier League club, et cetera, with all that TV revenue and all that sort of thing. But the reason they're an established Premier League club with all that TV revenue is because they've had to shove the wage bill up to a position that requires them to take a loan the minute something even goes slightly wrong. That's that's just the reality. I think it is for everyone, isn't it? Uh, what What would you prefer? Um, so in an ideal world, I, I believe a multi-stakeholder situation where fans are involved. We talk about custodians of the club, um, but I think ultimately the, the only real custodians who turn up week in, week out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, um, not because they have a financial interest in the club, but because they have an emotional, whatever you want to call it, spiritual um, cultural interest in the club are, are fans. I think it's really important that fans are integrated into decision making because they're the ones who will be there. Um, but you know, I think a multi-stakeholder situation is 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 the best situation that they could be. I think also sometimes you know, part of me thinks better the devil you know. So um, you know, when uh, if you look at it and you're like, right, okay, so we've got these different ownership models, but then you've still got Dean Hoyle, right? Like, that's a model. Um, and look at that and kind of go, oh, it's worked okay. It's worked well. Mm. You know, if you know, if he kind of rekindled his interest, how many other people are there with a, a deep connection to the club who have, um, not bottomless, but um, very deep pockets? So, yeah, let me say, multi-stakeholder with, 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 with fan involvement, fan ownership, local businesses, whatever. Um, but I don't get to choose. What about you? Now we'll go to Dave first. Dave, um, what what do you reckon for Huddersfield Town to be? The ideal think that, ownership scenario. I think there's a lot of merit in what Jim is saying, but I think what you have to be careful with 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 multiple voices is that you've got the right voices and that they're actually pulling in the right way because very very quickly that sort of situation can become very very difficult. Um, and what you don't want is effectively a board that within two years are sort of slightly at war with each other because um, that is a, a 
deeply unhealthy and unhelpful situation. So I think what Jim said would be the the perfect answer, but it's like whether you got that perfect mix of people. I think the hedge fund model is, it has, there are clubs out there like Burnley who have been bought that way. And to be honest with you, they're sort of almost poster boys for it being the wrong way to do it in terms of, the reason they've suddenly decided to invest heavily and become very, very interested is, as I was explaining before, in the terms of why do they buy it, it's because they desperately need Burnley to be a Premier League club. That's that's A hedge fund cannot lose on its investment. It doesn't have to make hundreds of millions, so it doesn't have to turn them into this successful machine that gets European football all they're bothered about is that they're they're part of the party at the top because that's what they bought into. But there are hedge fund model clubs that are invested in sensibly and that are run very, very well. So I, I don't think you should just write that model off either. I think that the kind of sort of one man, one voice type ownership, again, it comes down to the individual, but I just think in football, and in the top divisions in England, it's so difficult to have that level of ownership because what tends to happen is a lot of people who do it are, to be frank, not up to the job. You know, they're, they're not experienced enough. They're not sort of like deeply... They've come from a world of business and they've bought a football club almost because either they think, I A, it would be easy... B, it's going to be fun, or C, they can do it better than anybody else just because they've got this, what they see as this sort of framework that is completely transferable. The thing is, it very, it's very, very difficult now because of the way football's moved on. You, you look at, you know, I'm going to talk about Tony Bloom again. Tony Bloom owns and runs Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club, but one of the things that Tony Bloom does is he's got lots and lots of people around him all of whom have got a very important voice and a very important say in the club it's not although he owns it he doesn't run it as a dictatorship model or anything like that because you just can't anymore you need there is so much that goes on in a football club Matt you know from <laughs> from from the football side to everything at the training ground to your analytics department to your recruitment to your you know your catering to your stadium staff to it, it, it one person can't just sort of <laughs> come in and go okay i'm an expert at all of these things it's like when you go to a restaurant and they've got one of those, you know, when you go abroad to a restaurant and they've got one of those menus that's about 15 pages long and you think, <laughs> oh, good, they must do all of these dishes really, really well. <laughs> it's it's impossible to find that sort of person. So I, I kind of think if somebody comes in, it's whether they come in and they try to be Tony Bloom and essentially almost hand over whole sections of the football club to people who know what they're doing and they're perfectly comfortable with that. Or whether they come in and I'm not going to name people because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but you only need to look around League One and League Two at individuals who have come in and bought football clubs believing they're going to do, be able to do it much better than anybody else has. 
and those clubs are still languishing sometimes are now non-league so i think it's difficult i think it's difficult i don't think there's a there's a perfect solution if i'm honest i I, my gut feeling is that something like a consortium is going to be probably what will happen because i just don't think a hedge fund will look at Huddersfield and the area of Huddersfield and think okay well that's investable because it's never gonna you know we can show a profit on that one way or another so I think some sort of consortium some sort of group coming in is is what feels like is likely going to happen and what you need to sort of cross your fingers and hope for there is that it's a group that come in with an open mind that want to take the club forward that want to support and scaffold everything that's there at the club instead of coming in and going either we're going to cut back on every last thing or we're going to you know take out all of these poles here there and everywhere and don't worry it won't collapse honestly so yeah it's it's difficult football ownership is difficult running a football club is very very difficult so it's it's a it's a huge thing and if I come full circle it's what I was saying about Dean Hoyle going, you know, the 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 days of a fan owned in Huddersfield Town are going to be gone. And that, that does create a very, very different situation, a very, very different world in which that, that football club exists now or will exist. Mm. I say a couple of billionaires won't go and miss with it, but I, I look at sort of fan ownership and I don't think that works for Huddersfield Town because Huddersfield Town are a football club that needs capital injecting into it annually um well it doesn't but if you didn't inject it in then Huddersfield Town would sit probably bottom end league one league two Uh, and that's where they would sit in a football pyramid which is um distorted by billionaires putting money in higher up and I think if everybody was fan owned Huddersfield would probably sit where we are now you know sort of bottom end tier two but that's not the world we live in is it so um, that's why I said in an ideal world. Yeah, so the world that we're living in at the minute, ideally you want three or four people to come in with a shared common goal and somebody with a clear plan more than anything. I think the the fact that they need to come in with a plan and an idea rather than just see how it goes, which some seem to do, uh, I think they need to have a very clear idea of what, uh, a very clear knowledge of what Huddersfield Town is, a very clear idea of where Huddersfield Town can go. And look, you, you can't, by Huddersfield Town and go, do you know what? Europe in three. It just doesn't happen, does it? Unless I heard someone did that. Though. Unless you are a you know, Bill Gates type billionaire, you know, it's not gonna happen. And even then financial fair play probably dictates that you probably can't do that anyway. So somebody that's just gonna take care of the football club and you know, three or four people and then if one of them needs to drop out, then you know, and then they can hopefully be replaced over time by somebody else. And I would love somebody with the best intentions of Huddersfield Town to be part of that. Uh, I think you need fan ownership representation at some level, whether that's somebody like Dean Hoyle, who is a fan, whether it's someone like Phil Hodgkinson, who is a fan, well, or whether it's, or whether it's HTSA works, yeah. themselves. As well, it doesn't a, have to be. You know, I think, you know, maybe it's time to bring in the, you know, the, the findings, of, the recommendations of the government's fan-led review, you know, so that there were various... Um, recommendations mooted in, in that report by Tracy Crouch. So one of them was for the designated supporters trust to get a golden share in the club. So everyone would have to, every club would have to rewrite their articles of association or whatever, constitution or whatever they have. 
and the supporters trust would have a golden share which would mean they would have a veto over certain things moving the stadium changing the club's name changing the club's colors changing the club's badge and that they would be able to kind of like um veto those by triggering a vote of season ticket holders there's the uh, mooted idea of a shadow board of like you know fans um a kind of be like the att but a lot more structured um, with a lot more ability, to, with, with a lot more ability to like look at accounts and all this kind of stuff. Um, there's also, I think, uh, the idea mooted of having two non-executive directors on the club club board who were there to represent fans' interests. Um, so I think, it, realistically, in England, those are the, some of the options that could be explored. Um, but I think it's really important that whoever buys the club. That there's a de- that there's some kind of transparency at some point in the process, and that fans are brought into that. Um, and I don't just mean fans' representatives, whether it's the, the HTSA or the Southern Terriers or the you know whatever it is, but I mean you know the whole fan base. That that this is something that doesn't just have to be sold to the prospective owners. This has to be sold to fans as well, so that when it starts, there's a vision and fans are on board, and fans don't have any of those nagging questions relating to well the last deal kind of didn't go well is this going to go well you know yeah look i i have huge um aspirations and i i hold huddersfield town your aspiration is to be the chairman or i would love to be a chairman of huddersfield town if i had the money to do it um I'd, i'd rather spend my own than someone else's money which i don't have but i i look at huddersfield town and i i see a a football club full of potential I really do, and I, I really get frustrated when people pull Huddersfield Town down, whether that's in the media, whether it's Huddersfield Town fans doing it, or whether it's someone other, someone else doing it. I get really frustrated because I, I look at Huddersfield Town, and you look at the history of Huddersfield Town, it's got a lovely history all the way through to the 1970s, and it's a little bit checkered, um, but the potential is there. You look at when Huddersfield played Manchester United and Chelsea and a couple of others in the Premier League, um, I remember Sean Jarvis saying at the time, Huddersfield Town could have sold over 35,000 tickets for these games. And obviously that's not all Huddersfield fans, but it shows the interest in the 10, local 10,000 would have had a terrible view, though. Probably, on, on the hill. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, like uh, the 67,000 and 37 all over again, yeah. isn't it? But, you know, I think Huddersfield Town is a place of huge potential that won't be realised in two or three years because it, I think Huddersfield people and Huddersfield fans are slow to uh, jump on something. I think they healthily sceptical, shall we say? Yeah, I agree. I, agree. I think that is healthy sceptical. So I, I don't think you can throw money in originally, initially and go, right, bang, there we go, and everyone will come down. I don't think it'll happen, but I think you can build Huddersfield Town over a course of five, ten years, and I think you can have a football club here that could easily sit in the Premier League structure, not obviously not winning it or anything silly like that, but they could sit in the Premier League structure with the right ownership model, with the right people, the right vision, and you look at clubs like Bournemouth, smaller club than Huddersfield, Swansea, I would argue Huddersfield are a bigger club than Swansea. Um, ten years, well, it's similar club, aren't they? Ten years in the Premier League. I, I don't see any reason why Huddersfield couldn't get up into that structure and do quite well with the right ownership model. And I think once, I think if Huddersfield did get up there, I think more people would come. I think having Leeds and Manchester so close does kind of knock that a little bit. But, 1.2 million people in West Yorkshire. Not everybody wants to, you know, follow the same trend. And I do, I do honestly think there's a huge potential for this football club. I think the people here have got huge potential. Um, 
th- there's something to work with here, you know, guys. And I, I, I honestly, when it comes to Huddersfield Town, I'm sort of pie in the sky sort of thinking rather than someone who's detrimental, if you like. And I, I do honestly think that there's something here for a decent group to take forward. I don't, I don't think it's pie in the sky. And, and I don't think... Blue uh, sky thinking. Blue sky thinking, that's it. I don't think Huddersfield Town fans should settle for less or settle for the bare minimum. At the end of the day, this is a big football club. It's a big football club historically that has, you know, won three league titles. Um, it's just had 50 years of crap, that's all. Yeah, it's, it? it's, it's won. It's, it's just half of its history has been rubbish. No, um, <laughs> it, you, know, won, you know, FA Cup, Charity Shield, um, has been like at the very top of English football for, for a very long time with a, with a strong, distinct fan base. Um, and and even even through the bad times, a fan base that, that stuck with it. You know, we've got a fantastic space age stadium. We know when you well, look, you look at, at you, you look, look at the League Two campaign and you look at the attendances against Mansfield and Lincoln. I think there's 17 and a half. This is actual people, yeah. not not the gates that you know someone down the road. You know, sort of. Cut, I think they you're count trying to the say empty seats. I'm say not saying who it is, but I think they count the empty seats rather than the people. So that the attendance them. figures aren't correct. Exactly, I, but I, there's I, seventeen I and a half thousand actual people against yeah, Mansfield yeah. in the bottom tier. Nineteen thousand against Lincoln. That's it, and there's, the there's, there's almost, a potential. I think what you have to do in Huddersfield is, is you, ha- you have you have to kind of think big, right? It's, it's a town that's always thought big, um, and uh, you know, I don't. I think people smell bullshit really quickly. Probably smelling it from me right now. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, th- I think they're all. I think you know they're also ambitious, and there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. And you've listed some of those clubs that Bournemouth, what you know, like small club. Um, historically, small club. You know, no offense to Bournemouth fans, but they're punching know. in the Premier League. Aren't exactly. They? That's, that's so we we can we can Fulham. Fulham. I, I when I started watching football, Fulham were a club that got three four thousand people at Craven Cottage. Yeah, and now look at them, and that's because of a sustained it's period plan. in the Premier League. Yeah, it's and a plan is sustained period in the, in the Premier League. Um, but you know, I, I think there is potential here in the, in in the football club. I think there's potential. In the fan base, there's potential in the academy. There's potential um, in the off the field stuff with you know the, the the foundation, the community stuff. It's a club where everyone, if if we all just pull it in the same direction, like magic happens, and, and we've seen it happen recently. We've seen it happen, you know, way back in the past. So anyone who comes in, I don't want anyone to come in and, you know, I, I'm, I'm past the little old Huddersfield thing. You know, historically, where do we sit? Like 20th in the league table of, you know, all-time successful clubs. I want someone to come in and go, do you know 17th what? 17th or something. Yeah. yeah. I want someone to come in and go, do you know what? Big club, cracking fan base. You know, I'm not going to sell you a, a, an absolute wild dream of, you know, um, San Siro in three years. But what I'm going to say to you is, like, we're here to be successful. We're here to, like get promoted, we're here to win football games, we're not here to apologise for existing. And I think maybe too many times we've kind of like had that attitude. And I think what Huddersfield Town needs to do, and when Huddersfield Town is at its best, and this could be on anything from the academy to on the pitch to season ticket prices to safe standing, be a leader. Don't be a follower, because followers don't get anywhere. There's always someone in front of them. Be a leader. And I think anyone who comes in has to like really do that and be like, we're going to do things our way. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But people have a lot of fun on the way. And I think that's a good place to end it, Jim. So yeah. thanks, Jim. Thanks, Dave. Um, hopefully people have, have enjoyed this. I know it's been a lot of shop talk, hasn't it? But, you know, we're, we're a couple of guys, 
you know, three guys passionate about Huddersfield Town Football Club, and we we believe in Huddersfield Town Football Club, and you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully it all ends with a, a thank you to to Dean. That's the ideal way. Huddersfield stay in the Championship. We say thanks to Dean, and we we move forward with um, an ownership model that we're all happy with. So, um, fingers crossed on that score, and uh, we'll uh, we'll move forward as well, Jim. Yeah, no, I think I, I, I'd probably echo that. You know, it's 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 always difficult when there's a transition, but. Yeah, I would say the last 14 years, there's been ups and downs, but those those ups have been absolutely incredible. Um, I think the important thing now is that we do everything possible to stay in the championship because, uh, you know, as you've alluded to uh, earlier, it becomes a bit more of a difficult proposition to sell a League One club. But if we can, if we can stay in the championship, you know, that will have been with the Premier League and, and everything else and, and everything off the pitch as well. Like, you know, you listed them, I won't list them again, but the club has progressed significantly over those 14 years. And now if we can just get through these six months and stay in the league and, you know, get, get new owners, we'll be in a really good position to, to crack on and get on with uh, the business of, of, I'm as sure as you want to do, talking about football and tactics and, you know, all that kind of stuff. XG. Rather than XG, the great stuff, Dave. The, um, rather than, you know, owners and off the field and balance sheets and all that kind of stuff. Because realistically, none of, us, none of us are interested in football because of that. We just, we just like the shiny things, don't we? Yeah. Like yeah. magpies, aren't we? Really? We all like a good thunder bastard. That's what we want to get back to appreciating. Thank you, mate. Always a pleasure to guest on the other pod. Scored, it was a dream. What a feeling, what a night. Oh, what a night. Wagner singing, we are Premier League. The greatest sight in Georgia Square did see. What an evening, what a night Oh, I I got a funny feeling when he walks And offends And then The commentator yelled he takes that chance Oh, what a night Lost so safe and mesmerizing me. Low, low charge and flattened all Chelsea. Stanford Bridge, oh, what a night. Oh, I, I got a funny feeling when he walked and a fan. Lads, what's your favourite 90th minute goal?
Got to be Heffley against Leeds. A shot from Moy and sliding in at the death, Michael Heffley. Great finish to the game. Shared with my family, only made better by ordering McDonald's via McDelivery afterwards. Three points, not nugget share box, spot on. Order McDelivery now by the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.